This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. As you heard in Bob's News, Federal Health Minister Patty Haidu, Provincial Health Minister Christine Elliott and Mayor John Tory are currently in town on what I would call a reassurance tour. They are reiterating that the risks here at home of catching the coronavirus are low. But overseas, it has passed a grim milestone with more than a thousand deaths, surpassing the death toll of SARS back in 2003. Ontario public health officials are investigating 19 people for possible infection. That's up from eight yesterday, but they say they have not confirmed any new cases. The Ontario Public Health Lab has ruled out infection for another 79 people. And of course, all of those samples have gone to the Federal Microbiology Lab in Winnipeg for double uh, confirmation. So, so far, the only confirmed coronavirus patients, which are a couple in their 50s, a student in her 20s, remain in self-isolation. So do you have questions? Has the danger mostly passed? The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now I am joined by Dr. Susie Hota, Medical Director of Infection Prevention and Control at the University Health Network. Welcome, Dr. Hota. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you for coming on the show. So uh, in your opinion, has the virus peaked? Uh, I don't think we have enough information to say that it's peaked at this point in time. What we're doing is looking at how quickly the cases are rising within, especially mainland China, where the vast majority of cases are occurring, um, but also keeping an eye on what's happening in some of the other areas where the virus has been imported to um, or exported to, I guess. Uh, so, you know, what's happening in terms of secondary transmission there. And so numbers continue to go up overall confirmed reported case counts have been going up. Um, the rate of that going up seems to have slowed down a little bit day to day over the last week or so. However, there are many factors that go into play when you have to interpret that, um, such as how many people are actually getting tested and um, uh, you know how many people are coming forward for testing. Okay. Which areas are you referring to specifically? So, you know, the province within China called Hubei is where we still see the vast majority of cases. But throughout mainland China, we have uh, many areas, many provinces, many cities where there are a large number of cases. Um, There are about 25 different countries or jurisdictions that have cases reported as well. Uh, Areas that I'm particularly interested in looking at is what's happening in Singapore, where there's been some transmission amongst clusters um, what's happening in some other areas where there haven't been any reported cases at all, like any African nations, um, India has had very few cases reported, uh, but these are areas where the population's pretty densely, po- you know, densely, um, you know, it's quite a dense population. So I'm, I'm very interested in seeing what happens in those areas. What about the question of, I uh, gather that there were a couple of cases of people who were infected who were nowhere near China or anybody who had been to China. Where are those cases? 
There is a cluster in the UK that was, uh, I guess, precipitated by somebody who had traveled to Singapore and come back and uh, and was infected with this uh, virus and then transmitted it to some other local individuals. Um, and so that was an interesting phenomenon. I think what it speaks to is what we are increasingly aware of is that this is transmitted from person to person through large respiratory droplets. And so people who are in close contact with anyone who's infected um, are at risk of getting infected themselves. And so it's important to see what countries are reporting increased numbers of cases and follow exactly how it's being contained within those areas. Mm-hmm. And so far, I hate to say only when it comes to death, but only two deaths outside of China? Yes. I mean, the death rate is, of course, very important because we want to know just how uh, how much this is affecting people when they do get the virus. I think we understand that a large number of people who get this infection are mildly infected. So they recover quite nicely after a few days and may not even have a lot of symptoms. Um, but the, the, those who do die uh, appear to be those who are at higher risk because they have other health issues, uh, more so than people who are otherwise well. And right now, it looks like the death rate is under 2%. Mm -hmm. Which is different from SARS. SARS had a much higher death rate. Yes, the death rate in SARS was about 10%. And another related coronavirus called the MERS virus has a mortality rate about 35%. So very different in terms of how this is behaving. We've seen our officials out constantly keeping uh, keep telling us that the risk is low and that people should be out and about and eating out, especially in uh, Chinatown. Do you agree the risk is that low here? I absolutely agree that the risk is low here. Right now, we've had very few cases. We've had a total of seven across the entire country that are confirmed cases. And I can tell you that my colleagues and I are looking to make sure that we're doing as you know, good as, as possible, a job of doing surveillance and uh, and trying to capture people who have had the right kind of travel history and present with symptoms that could be compatible with it. So we're looking for it. Um, and so right now, it's not in our community. People should be able to walk around and do what they normally do without restrictions. What about that cruise ship? The number of cases on that cruise ship, which is a uh, uh docked outside Yokohama, keeps rising. What do you think is going on there? Do you think that despite their quarantine system, they are still passing it from person to person? Yes. I mean, cruise ships are a very difficult environment to contain or control infections. And we've seen this when there have been other types of outbreaks like foodborne illnesses or norovirus type outbreaks, which are transmitted differently, mind you. But you can see how quickly it can go um, through a cruise ship. And part of it is you're in a semi-confined um, uh, environment. So it's not like it's completely open and you've got people crowded in this smaller area. And then you're sharing a lot of things and partaking in buffet dinners and, and things like that. So even with the quarantine measures that are in place, you're, you've got people fairly densely packed into an area. They've already been exposed before the quarantine um, was instituted and people who are sick were identified and, and taken to receive care elsewhere. You know, they were still already exposed at that point and were in that incubation period where cases may develop. So some of the cases are going to be related to that 
that earlier exposure, there very well may be transmission from person to person because the crew and other individuals are still able to move around within the ship as they're trying to support everyone else and provide food and, and other care. Um, and so, you know, it, it is very challenging for everyone to use the right infection control measures to keep from having infection transmitted in an environment like that. Okay. Uh, Dr. Hoda, is there anything you'd like to leave us with? I think that's pretty much it. I think that, you know, viewers should be aware that the public health officials and people in my position who do infection control in hospitals are, are very much on top of what's going on and looking for any signals for, you know, what we need to do to change how we're managing things. Um, but right now we have a pretty pretty good handle on, on what to do uh, in our current situation in Canada. Okay, Dr. Susie Hoda, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Yesterday, Finance Minister Bill Morneau warned that our economy will take a hit because of this. And now there appears to be a new cybersecurity threat spreading that's taking advantage of the public's fears around the virus. Cyber criminals are using coronavirus-themed emails in an effort to spread malware. And honestly, I just noticed one of these in my inbox just the other day. Uh, if you have questions, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. Let's go to Claudio Pupopa, cybersecurity expert with Data Risk Canada and author of the Canadian Cyber Fraud Handbook. Claudio, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me on. Okay, so tell us about this new threat. Well, you know what? These things are typical. They You can expect them. You can anticipate them. Anytime there's a noteworthy, newsworthy event, um, cyber criminals will take advantage of it. They will tap into people's fears, and they all they have to do is literally change the subject line of their phishing emails. Once they do that, it'll get people's attention. It'll play on their fears. They'll click on it. They have tracking um, little invisible um, images in the emails that tell them where it was open from and when it was open so they know that you've already read it and they can send you follow-up emails. So it's, um, it's a little bit uh, irritating uh, to those of us who are trying to, to spread awareness but it certainly has been anticipated. Okay, but n- not necessarily by all the rest of this. Now, is, do, you, do you get infected as soon as you click a link, or is it an attachment, or what? That's an excellent question. So the way these things work, and, and people need to realize that even when they don't see an, of, an antivirus pop-up or, um, or a detection uh, window that says, hey, you know what, we've detected a, a piece of malware on your system. Even when you don't see these things on your uh, computer, it's still significant. Why? Because when you open an email and there's a, an attachment or there's a link and that link gets you to a little file that gets copied on your computer, that file may not be the virus itself. So that virus could be uh, dormant. It could sit there for minutes, days, weeks, and then activate itself. And the way it does that is by simply making a connection back to its home server, downloading the malicious um, uh, software, installing that virus, and then doing that damage. So up until then, it will fly under the radar and not get detected. So people don't know whether to expect an actual infection or visible damage right away 
or uh, whether something has installed itself and can activate itself later on. So the best advice is do not open emails related to coronavirus or anything with a fear-based message in the subject line. <laughs> I just I just got one this second, and it says, <laughs> today we expose the real reason for the coronavirus outbreak. Wow. So uh, I haven't clicked on anything. I haven't uh, done anything. I'm just going to scroll down to see if there's an attachment on it. Um, and there doesn't appear to be. Uh, so uh, presumably, as long as I don't click on those links, uh, I'm good, right? Yeah, I, I think you're fine. Um, you haven't seen anything being written on your computer. You haven't saved any attachment. You no. haven't clicked on a link. Uh, you'll notice how it, how phishing works with clickbait. So these two things work hand in hand. They make you want to click to open an email. They make you want to click on that uh, subject line to see what the email says. If you can avoid clicking on it and actually opening the email itself, that's best. But if you've already read that email, uh, chances are nothing has happened to your computer yet. So the best thing you can do is just delete it. Okay. Now, I've heard this type of phishing uh, that plays on your fears about something referred to mm -hmm. as sharking. Is this a whole new area of scamming? <laughs> uh, yes, there's all kinds of nomenclature being introduced. There's sharking, there's, there's farming, there's whaling. Um, oh and God. all of these, so, so I encourage people to not get too caught up on these different terms. Uh, these are different, um, different flavors of phishing, and phishing is, is spelled P-H-I, phishing. Uh, and simply, it's, um, it's a way to fool people into opening an email. That's all it is. And if they can write something that is incomplete enough or tempting enough in the subject line, you'll open it. And then the next couple of lines will make you want to read further and further and then you'll say, well, I've already read this far, so why not just, you know, check out that website? Maybe I do have a CRA refund in this, in this precise amount. Um, that's how they get people, right? This is how phishing works, little by little. So whether it's called farming or whaling or sharking does not matter. But you will notice that these things are increasingly targeted. So they will always look like they know you. They'll say, you know, we are from your bank, uh, whatever bank that is. Maybe they do know what, what bank you, you, um, uh, you frequent. But in many cases, they know a lot less than they seem, and they're just making the most of the little information that they have on you to get you to click on a link and give them more information, or better yet, send them some money. Okay, so um, uh, is there... Anything else we should be on the lookout in terms of something that's a fallout from this coronavirus? Yes. The one thing you need to realize that is that they're, uh, they're aware, so cyber criminals are aware that you now know about phishing, that you know not to click on spam. So what they're doing is they're constantly scanning news sources and they're taking legitimate uh, summaries of news and plugging them into a spam engine that simply crafts, uh, crafts emails 
based on content that has been published on, say, the BBC or CNN or CBC or, or whatever news source, right? So this will be crafted in perfect English, and it will carry with it um, a piece of software that will want to write itself uh, to your computer. So what you need to know is if you're not expecting that email, delete it. If you're not, um, uh, if you didn't reach out to, let's say, Health Canada or your your local health, um, your regional health uh, authority, and asked questions about the coronavirus, then you're not expecting anything about the coronavirus. So delete it, right? Use news sources for news and not your inbox, which is prone to having all kinds of unsolicited messaging being dropped in there on a daily basis. Can you also remind us about the, I wouldn't call it a trick, but hovering over the URL to see if it's actually coming from the place it's purporting to be from? Yeah. So whenever you see a a link or a hyperlink, which is an underlined colored portion of text, you know that by clicking on that, it'll take you somewhere else. That's just the way the web works. But of course, what it says in in uh, what it says um, as a piece of text uh, as a label may not be an indication of where it's going to take you. So, without actually hovering over it, you're not going to know where where this link will take you. So, the best thing you can do is whenever you see a link, hover over it, look at the bottom of the screen or the bottom of your window, and chances are it will your computer will show you the address that it's going to. Now, of course, um, if that address looks sketchy at all, you should be, you should be um, suspicious. But when it doesn't look sketchy even, uh, you should still be suspicious because you are not expected to know every single domain name out there, right? So, so you should know that if they want you to see the word, let's say, BBC in the web address, They'll plug it in there somewhere, but if it says bbc.ru, right, for Russia, uh, you might want to be concerned. Uh, so if you see too many slashes, if you see too many characters, if you see a site that you don't recognize, simply don't click on it. Yeah, you're, and, you're, you're talking about the link where it's going, but I'm referring to the URL address where it comes from. So if, if you oh, get okay. something so the email that's address, marked... The, the originating be- email, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So the originating email is another interesting thing. The originating email has a name next to an email address. And in many cases, um, malicious senders will put the email address that they want you to believe it's coming from. They'll put that in the name field, right? So in, instead of it coming from Libby, it comes from info at uh, Zoomer or something to that effect. So you see info at Zoomer and they'll trust, they'll trust that address. Um, they, they can play with these visual tricks. So, so what you need to know is that if you can hover over that name, you'll be able to see the address. If you can't hover over it, you may still be able to see it if you right-click it, depending on what computer system you have. If you're on a phone, you might be out of luck. Uh, but, but as you say, pay careful attention to the sender because the sender may not be what they, what they, uh, uh, what they seem to be. The best advice, uh, I continue to, 
to give you is to just delete emails that you were not expecting. Okay. On that note, we are out of time. Thank you so much, Claudio Pupa. Appreciate it. Very welcome. Thanks for having me. Okay. And that's all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.